You're listening to the best of the day. I say you, you the best. Halford and Bruff. You're listening to Halford and Bruff. I'm not feeling the same vibes of certainty on something getting done with Bo as I did with JT. Everything I heard or everything I kind of saw suggested there's a better chance he stays and gets signed than he gets traded. You just do your job, do it right, and usually good things good things happen after that. You know, we're learning as a group and getting better and using our practice time and getting better and learning new things. I'm learning. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. It is Halford, it is Brough, it is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning to you. Good morning. A-Dog, good morning to you. Good morning. And Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Halford and Brough of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are also coming to you live, as I mentioned, from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, tell them about Kintech. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Big show ahead on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. The guests begin at 6.30. Greg Wyshynski from ESPN is going to join us. We will go around the NHL, look at some of the big stories from Monday, look ahead to tonight as well. 7.30. Tarek El-Bashir from The Athletic is going to join us on the program. He, of course, is the Washington Capitals beat writer for The Athletic. The Caps, of course, are in Vancouver tonight to take on the Canucks 7 o'clock from Rogers Arena. We are not giving away tickets to tonight's game. We are giving away a pair of tickets to go see the Canucks and the Florida Panthers on Thursday night, which is also Luongo and Sedin's night at Rogers Arena. So uh, Tarek is going to join us at 7.30 to preview tonight's game, 8 o'clock. It's the Drancer, Thomas Drance from The Athletic, <clears throat> excuse me, and from uh, Canucks Talk right here on Sportsnet 650. Uh, Drancer will walk us through tonight's game as well. We'll look ahead to the rest of the week, what to expect on Thursday and Saturday, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I mentioned Canucks and Caps tonight, 7 o'clock from Rogers Arena. Nine other NHL games, and with all due respect to the Vancouver Canucks and the Washington Capitals. I think most of the hockey world is going to be focused on Calgary tonight, where Matthew Kachuk and the Florida Panthers make uh, his and their return to Alberta. Who gets booed more, Kachuk or Goudreau? Goudreau, right? Goudreau. Yeah. The sentiment that I got in watching a grand total of one interview, one, Mm -hmm. is that Calgary Flames fans are not nearly as upset with the Kachuk move as opposed to the Gaudreau move because they got something in return for Kachuk. He kind of did him a solid. He's like, I'm not going to sign with you guys ever. But if you want to trade me now, I'll be open to it. A a sign at at, at the game uh, will say, thanks for the heads up. Yeah, like way to do us a solid. (laughs) Big sign. Anyway, uh, that's the NHL story tonight. World Cup, congratulations, everyone. We made it. We no longer have to deal with 2 a.m. games. So we have uh, Netherlands and Qatar, Senegal and Ecuador uh, in the first slate of matches to decide who goes through. And then, you know, I feel like some of our wind has been out of the proverbial World Cup sail after Canada got eliminated. Yeah. Our zest is maybe not necessarily mm-hmm. there. I think that'll get uh, re-heightened today at 11. I am very intrigued by what's on the horizon today 
when England takes on Wales and at the same time the U.S. takes on Iran? It is not very often that England will play a game in the World Cup and I will be focusing on another game. Yeah, the good US, point. The U.S.-Iran is going to be dramatic. Yeah. And I, there are just so many angles uh, to this off the pitch, obviously. These two countries... Do not get along. <laughs> and oh, what's going on in Iran right now, all they need is a draw. Correct. To get US through. needs so to win. The U.S. needs to win this one. Um, so the, uh, the, the tensions are going to be really high. To give you an idea of how much is still up for grabs at this World Cup, there are 16 spots available in the appropriately named round of 16. There are only three teams. How many, how many teams get there? You know, uh, it's somewhere between 15 and 17. Okay. Um, now, the interesting thing is that only three teams have qualified thus far, and mm-hmm. everyone's played two games. Yeah. Bit of an anomaly where usually you'll see a couple teams run away with the groups. Not the case thus far. So, yeah, there's a lot going on there. A reminder, uh, Netherlands and uh, Qatar who are done. Senegal and Ecuador at seven, so that's in just over an hour's time. And then at 11, you got the two really intriguing matches of the day. Uh, so there's a lot that's going on today in the world of sports. We'll get to that in a little bit, but now we need to tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Missed that? You missed that? Biggest news of the day on the Vancouver Canucks front by far on Monday is that the Canucks have sent Jack Rathbone and Vasily Podkolzin down to their AHL affiliate in Abbotsford. The news was received kind of an eyebrow razor. I think you actually got it on your phone. Was it when we were out last night? We went for a team bonding sesh at the saloon, the mm-hmm. old the old local drinking hole. And it came out at around five o'clock. Yeah. And you kind of got like, oh, whoa. So it was actually fairly noteworthy, at least in terms of the response. And then when you kind of started to think about it, the general consensus was, yeah, this kind of makes sense. And quite frankly, it might have been overdue. Well, it's two different situations Uh, with Rathbone. The question I have is what took so long to send that guy down? He's only played six games. His last one was on November 9th. So that's 20 days ago now. So almost three weeks. Um I also have to wonder what Rathbone is thinking about his future in Vancouver and whether or not he's got a future in Vancouver, whether or not he could use a fresh start somewhere else. There's no, I'm not, I'm not saying that he deserves to be in the Canucks lineup by any means in the few games that he's played this season. He has not played well. Um, He's supposed to be a puck mover and too often he's made bad decisions when he's been trying to move the puck, bad passes, uh, giveaways, and if he was producing points at the other end, producing offense at the other end, maybe you'd overlook a few of those giveaways. And Quinn Hughes has the odd bad giveaway. But Quinn Hughes produces. And Quinn Hughes has a role on the first unit power play. Jack Rathbone, it's kind of like, well, what are the positives to your game? How are you helping us? Because most of the time he was out there, frankly, he was hurting the Canucks. As for Pod Colson, while he's only 21, uh, we were talking about this a few weeks earlier and saying, I'm worried about this guy. I'm worried about how he's playing. I'm worried about the environment in which he's playing because the Canucks at the time were not on a three-game winning streak. 
they're on the yep. opposite of yep. that. And we were just wondering about all the young players on the team and what their th- how, how their development might be affected by a struggling team. Um, the group didn't seem all that close. There didn't seem to be a lot of camaraderie out there. And we just wondered how it would affect him. Um, and this is a kid that finished pretty strongly last season. And it's disappointing that he hasn't been able to build on his strong finish to last season. Um, but in his defense, the Canucks have a lot of wingers. And you add Kuzmenko and Mikheyev, it's not like those guys are going to be healthy scratched or those guys are going to be kicked down the lineup. Yep. Uh, and then the acquisition of Jack Stanika, who I thought was going to play center, but he's been on the wing, so that's another player that you're in competition with for time yep. and space in the lineup. I mean, the Canucks have Besser and Garland on the third line right now. Right. Well, and there's and there's the pending return of um, Tanner Pearson as well that's on the horizon. So all you know, it's a numbers game in part with Pod Colson. Mm. Is that the, it, the here's the thing? Pod Colson's demotion. It's it's seemed not like, just a numbers game though. No, he, I know, he, but he hasn't played all that. But well. Pod Colson's demotion seems like logic. Guy not playing well, waiver eligible, yeah. able to go down. That make it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Rathbone is more of oh, you guys finally decided to do this. Right. You really should have done it sooner. I. You know, I understand what you're saying, and I, I understand that, you know, part of our jobs is to look down the road and try and see, like, where this might end up. Maybe Rathbone does wonder where his standing is in the organization. I go a different route, quite honestly. Uh, it's like those old anti-Justin Trudeau campaign ads. He, he just wasn't ready. He just wasn't. He may never be, but at this stage of his career, he's only played in the neighborhood of 50 to 60 professional hockey games over the span of three years. Yeah. He was only at Harvard two years ago. And he was kind of a late developer at Harvard because he got there late. He mm. spent that extra year playing high school hockey. So what you look at is why keep him around on the NHL club for that long? Like, yes, he had a great stint in Abbotsford last year. Where he was a point-of-game guy in the blue line. That was also over the span of 39 games. We're not even talking a full half of an American League season. And it became pretty apparent that when he got to the NHL this year, the stuff that he did in the American League that made him successful wasn't going to translate at the NHL. Or he level. wasn't going to get the opportunity to do it because he's not getting all the power play time. Exactly, right? So, yeah, you're a puck mover. Yeah, you're a point-producing defenseman in the American League. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of guys that pile up points in the American League that have to do dramatically different things to yeah. survive at the NHL level. So, you know what? To be perfectly honest, I think this might be the best thing for all parties involved moving forward. I'm sure Rathbone and Pod Colson hate it in the moment, mm-hmm. and I'm sure they're disappointed. Oh, it's, it's, it's absolutely the right move. Pod Colson um, might just need... A confidence boost too. He's again. He's only twenty one, um, and when you think about the teams that he's played on since he's been drafted, really since he's been an eighteen year old, he was in the KHL mm-hmm. playing a similar role to the one he is now. In that he's not getting top six minutes consistently. He's the young guy on on a team full of you know professional hockey players that have been around for a long time, right? Uh, he played a few games, I think, in the the junior version of the of the Russian league. Like, Is that but the V, the V I H L, the V or the the, the M or what? I don't even know. There's Sending a, him down to the V. There, yeah. But most of the time, he's been in the KHL. And remember how we were kind of like, man, he's probably not going to get much ice time over there. Younger players, if you think they don't get much opportunity in North America, it's it's you know it's. 10 times that in the KHL just out of, I don't know, that's the culture there or that's the tradition there. And then he comes to the NHL 
and he's the young kid on a on a Canucks team, right? So I I think it's I think it's it's a good idea to get him down to the AHL, um, especially right now because the uh, Abbotsford is going to play four home games in the next week. Mm-hmm. It's actually part of a six game homestand. Love so it, love a six game homestand. So maybe for Pod Colson, maybe this is only a four game stint down in the AHL. Try and get him going, get him some ice time. Uh, get him some confidence, and then he's back. That being said, you mentioned the potential return of Tanner Pearson soon, yeah. right? You're gonna have, you're gonna still have that glut of wingers, and I don't know what they're gonna do about it. Uh, well, I think the obvious thing is he stays down for a good while. Just, I mean, again, unless injury strikes, you know, you got to also consider. And I'm not really saying the quiet part out loud here, but it, I think it deserves to be mentioned that the, the timing of all this comes after what happened in Pod Colson's previous two games. Well, two games ago for him was when he got tuned up in Boston. Yeah. Then he had some games off because his face was, quite frankly, messed up and he needed to repair. And then he came back and played nine minutes in that loss to Vegas and was pretty ineffective. Mm. And I think at a certain point... I haven't noticed him much at all this yeah, year. He's I think, just kind of been out there. I think you saw a guy who's... Um, I think his... Uh, you know, confidence level was shot, and then the fight happened, and then he was just rattled, and they just said, okay, n- enough's enough. Let's get him down where he can play, and he's out of the spotlight, and he's not got 10 cameras in his face when his face is all bashed up after he lost the fight, yeah. and he can go and play. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned uh, the Abbotsford Canucks. They play tonight and tomorrow night um, against the hated Bakersfield Condors. They're their rival from the American League. So I think there's an understanding here that, hey, we've got the team in our backyard. Send these guys down. They don't have to fly across the country. They're there yesterday. Mm-hmm. Practice, play, go, and do it under the spotlight of, what, 4,000, 5,000 people in Abbotsford as opposed to 18K at Rogers Arena. Makes sense. Shane from Cloverdale texts into the Dunbar Lumber text line. To create cap space, you trade Brock and Connor Garland as they are easier to replace than a center like Bo Horvat. Well, that is interesting you say that, Shane. Because I think those are the moves that they're going to consider first. Um, we mentioned the glut of wingers that they've got. I think they're going to have to do something because they still want to have Pod Colson as part of the future in Vancouver unless they use him as, as some sort of trade chip. But I don't think they will because he has the potential to provide them with something they haven't been getting enough of, and that's cheap labor, right? That's a guy playing on an affordable contract that hopefully can produce. To me, Connor Garland has always seemed like the most obvious player to trade, and Brock Besser is approaching that as well, just because of, uh, of you know, you, you hopefully that Pod Colson develops and Nils Hoaglander takes some steps, and I think it's been better with Hoaglander. Not 100%, but it's been a little bit better. Um, And then Kuzmenko, who we talked about yesterday, if you want to re-sign him, then you're going to have to move out some cap space. As for Horvat, we've said time and time again that it seems likely that Horvat is going to play for another team next season, but... We've also said that, hey, if the Canucks sit there and go, well, JT Miller is probably better on the wing, Mm -hmm. then if you get rid of Horvat, or if you don't have Horvat, and let's say you trade him for, I don't know, a defenseman, 
Do the Canucks need defensemen? I think they do. I've been told. I, I, yeah. So let's say that happens. Then who's your two C? Right. Then you've got Nils, an issue. Nils Oman. Then, then then you then you're robbing Peter to pay pay Paul essentially. Mm-hmm. You know. De- we, we, I know defense is important. You know what else is important? Having the right players down the middle. Mm-hmm. And Sat was talking yesterday, and we'll play some audio from Sat because. He kind of threw it out there. He's like, "Hey guys, you know, like we we all know that, you know, it's possible that Horvat could leave, and we all know that the negotiation as as negotiations as reported still have a gap in them. But don't assume that Horvat is necessarily gone. Um, let's play this audio, and 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 here's what Sat had to say yesterday." I'm not feeling the same vibes of certainty on something getting done with Bo as I did with JT. And I've I've been very honest with that. Like, one of the reasons I kept saying, hey, JT, they're trying to sign him is because, like, everything I heard or everything I kind of saw suggested there's a better chance he stays and gets signed than he gets traded. With Bo, it's been hard to nail that down. But for a while, it felt like there's a better chance he gets traded than he gets signed. And I still think that's the case. Because they still want to do stuff and they're pretty limited with the options they have on their roster. But I wouldn't put that percentage at 10 or 20%. Like, I think it's a far greater percentage that they work out something with Bo Horvat. My understanding is there are a lot of people still in that organization that value Bo. That believe in Bo. That want Bo here to continue being the captain of the team. I don't know if everybody's sold on it, obviously. But the main hurdle has been one clear thing. And it's not just clearing cap space, it's clearing the type of cap space and getting the assets you need to do the things you want to do with the rest of your roster. One of the reasons they haven't traded Bo is they haven't got the package they wanted, obviously. But the second one, more than anything, is I think they'd still rather do other things with the roster before they decide on we're for sure trading Bo. Other things. Trying to clear cap space. Dan in Fort St. John says the problem with moving uh, Besser and Garland versus Horvat is the return. You're not getting Jack for the wingers. Nope. And no, you're probably not, but you, here's what you're getting. Cap space. Cap space. Guys, we don't, we haven't appreciated, well, maybe we have, what cap space can do for an organization. The opportunities that merely having the space Presents. So think about if you're a team right now with cap space. Hey, you know what you can get? Players like Besser and Garland for free. Probably or close to free. What if you need wingers? The Canucks don't need wingers. What if you're a team sitting there and going, oh, we have like no goal scoring right now. No one could put the puck in the net. The mm-hmm. Canucks don't have that problem. What if you're a team out there that, that could use that? Don't you think the... Um, we need a guy that could put the puck in the net. Hey, Brock Besser has three goals this year. You know what I mean. <laughs> Look, the I, goal scores. You know I'm, what I mean. I'm sorry, but like I, I understand you're just playing the role, and you're saying what the the I'm not I, playing the role. This is the what idea. I think. Okay, well, I it, it would be crazy for an organization to do a a, a free one day giveaway on Brock Besser four months after signing him to a three. Why do you always? Why do you dollar? always go? After you always say like, well, they just signed him. Well, change your mind. You need, you still need to just make the best decision. The reason they signed him to that contract was because they wanted some cost 
stability and some cost certainty on Brock Besser, which they didn't have because of the situation that he was in. When he signed that contract, there were still a lot of people out there that said, okay, now you know what he's getting over the next little while, and if you need to trade him, you can trade him. Yeah, but they should have traded him before they had done any of this because now but, the 6.65 is an anchor more than anything but else. But the problem, they couldn't trade him because people weren't didn't know the situation that he was in. But you were going to give him away now. Why couldn't you give him away then? Well, yeah, you're gonna give it away. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. I don't, I don't why, I don't know why they made. You it were hoping for a bounce back. You were hoping for a bounce back sure. from Brock Besser. If you want, if you want, that's what you were hoping for, right? If that's what you bank six point six five million annually on, then that's fine. They're gonna. I, I like just looking at this puzzle, this jigsaw puzzle that's out there, and trying to not necessarily solve it, but just point out what everyone else is doing wrong when they're trying to solve it, because that's really what it is is there's so many different moving parts to this, and you can always bring in something else. And we talked about this yesterday. We are getting to the accumulation point. I I use the hoarder's analogy. It's like where you just keep stockpiling junk in your living room, and finally the stack of newspapers from 1962 falls on you. And that's kind of where they're at right now because there's no great solutions. Mm -hmm. Like giving away, and this is just in a purely hypothetical, but there's some definite merit to it, giving away two wingers that are, you know, fairly useful offensive contributors is not great. But that's just so you can uh, provide cap space to either keep your captain or find money to carve out for the offensive winger who's just going to replace the two offensive wingers that you're sending out the door. Then it's like, oh, and by the way, you still haven't addressed the blue line. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's it's almost like overwhelming. Well, it all, de- it all depends what... If 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 management and maybe ownership thinks this group is worth keeping together, well, and that's the other thing. Like when when Sat's saying, "Well, now we're hearing or we're thinking that it, it, the tables might have shifted a bit." I'm like, tables need to stop shifting all the time. Like I think someone needs to figure out a much clearer course of action. But the important thing is that it has to be a clear course of action that is actually viable and that you're actually able mm-hmm. to do. Because we know now, based on all the remarks from Alvin and Rutherford from the summer, they had a pretty clear idea of what they wanted to do. They knew what they wanted to do. They wanted to move cap space. They wanted, or sorry, they wanted to accumulate cap space. They wanted to move some contracts out. They wanted to be more flexible under the cap. What did they say coming back from the summer? That was harder than we thought it was going to be. Yeah. As a matter of fact, we didn't do it at all. As a matter of fact, the only way we were able to clear Dickinson's deal was to attach a second-round pick, which is what we did not want to do, and we said that as well. So, there's, I mean, this is, this is the, the great thing about watching management plans and strategies play out, but it's also the frustrating things because the best-laid plans oftentimes are just that. Mm-hmm. You don't really fulfill them because other teams aren't going to play by the rules that you've laid out or are going to play the role that you want them to, right? It's funny, uh, when we were having our little – team get together yesterday I was chatting with some guys and uh I think it was Jamie Dodd actually and I I said to him you know normally I have a pretty good handle on what management wants to do like throughout the years right normally I have a pretty good handle on on mm-hmm. what they're thinking about their team what needs to improve what their overall big picture plan is or not plan strategy philosophy whatever I have no idea about this management group. I just cannot, I cannot wrap my head around what they think about this team and what, you know, big picture stuff. Like, mm-hmm. is this group worth keeping together? Yeah. Is this group worth investing in? So far, their actions have suggested that, yes, 
It at, is. At times, because, yes, and at it, times, no, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 100 no, what at times not? Just comments, right? Comments. The, comments, that's it. But actions have been locking up JT Miller, and uh, if they lock up Horvat as well, then you're like, okay, well, they're going for it. Yes, right? With, with, and they would be going for it with the same inherent roster flaws that have been there for the duration of their time in Vancouver. Yeah. It still would be the patchwork defense. Hey, three three wins in a row, right? But that's that is where again I go back to my earlier comment. Everything's coming home to roost at a time where you still, or at least it seems from outside perceptions, that you haven't made up your mind on the team, and that's a very very dicey proposition to get yourself in because you almost end up making moves like uh, you got till end of week. <laughs> To you know, to, to achieve this thing, and and then there's an inherent pressure, not necessarily to do something positive, but to do something positive by Friday or by the end of the week. And we all know what the deadlines are in the NHL, right? You the, the next big one for the Canucks, especially spe- with Horvat, is going to be the trade deadline well, in, in the spring, right? It does offer up the uh, question of timing on all this, right? Because don't you think they'd have to make a decision on Horvat by the trade deadline? Agree? Yes, they're going to make a decision on Horvat. Just, yeah, but I said the same thing about okay. Miller, but yes. No, but Miller was in a different situation. He wasn't a pending UFA. He still had a year left. So but, Yeah, okay. They, okay, so pending UFA, they're going to make a decision by the trade deadline. Let's just, for the sake of argument, say that, yeah. right? But they probably need to clear cap space before committing to keeping Horvat. Or you think they'd want to make sure that they could clear cap space Maybe by then? Just figure it out in the summer. <laughs> yeah, I just don't know how that because I don't know how you're going to clear much cap space during the season. No, they. I mean, you could conceivably sign Horvat to an extension and then say we're going to obviously have to clear cap space, and then the all the other teams are just like, "Wow, these guys are over a barrel." Yeah, you know who we could take advantage of. <laughs> And then maybe that's where you start entertaining the idea of giving away Brock Besser and giving away Connor Garland and whatever. And, and these are moves that we've seen a la Max Pacioretty, who all the, he got moved in the last yeah. year of his deal to Carolina. Uh, Oliver Borkstrand, and that happened because Columbus got all, all in on Gaudreau, and they're like, now you have to go. So I wonder these, if you, these oh, things do exist, and they do kind of pop up from time to time. I wonder if you could find a team that you'd be like, we'll give you Garland or Besser. You're, you choose. You choose who you want. Uh, but you have to take Tanner Pearson as well. Something along those lines. I suppose. Yeah. I'd, I'd, want, I'd love to see a template on it where you dump not one but two contracts on a team. Because one is less. Well, the Canucks dumped a lot of contracts on uh, on Arizona. Yeah, but they got and, something in return. And the, yeah, yeah they sure a, did. Including bad contracts. Uh, a bigger anchor. <laughs> so, I, you know, it's going to be extremely interesting. By the way, the Canucks play tonight. Uh, they have a game against the Washington Capitals at 7 o'clock. At Rogers Arena, uh, Tarek El-Bashir from The Athletic is going to join us in just about an hour's time to preview tonight's game. We'll look ahead to tonight's game as well from the cap side of things. But coming up on the other side, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN, one of our favorite guests, always entertaining. He joins us next on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the best of the day. I say you the best. And bruff.
702 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Another jazzy little tune there, Lonnie. What's this one? Uh, this one's called What's the Time? 702. <laughs> Check it. Just turned 703. You are listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, hour two of the program now underway. It's brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. So we are underway in the final group matches of the World Cup. Everyone's played two games so far. We've got Netherlands, Qatar, Ecuador, and Senegal all playing their final group stage matches. So this is, from here on in, this is where you're going to get the real drama. I say this because of the 16 spots available in the appropriately named round of 16, only three spots have been claimed so far. Brazil, France, and Portugal. So I'll say this. Um, now that Canada has officially been eliminated, I'm not going to lie. My excitement for the tournament has dulled a little bit. I'm sure you're in the same boat. Absolutely, yeah. But the tournament, if you take a very objective, very neutral look at this, this tournament has set itself up really nicely. So you want those three through. You didn't want... Brazil, France, or Portugal to slip up in the group stage and not qualify. You want those teams, as high quality as they are, to be in this thing going forward. We don't know any of the seedings yet We don't for the round of 16, but we will find out today. Groups A and B will finish their group stage today. As you mentioned, um, the winner of Group A, probably the Netherlands, will probably. play... We'll play second place in Group B, which could be the U.S. or Iran. Mm-hmm. Depending, and, on, yeah, depending on where it shakes out in the groups right now, this is where you get the really intriguing round of 16 matchups. Like, for yeah. example, if, a, if an Argentina finishes second in their group, all of a sudden you're seeing a group winner be like, Ah, come ah, on! Ah. <laughs> Why? Why did you have to lose to Saudi Arabia? Before we go a little bit further, we will introduce now the soccer report. Brought to you by CertainTeed, the pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. CertainTeed, pro all the way. So uh, today, this afternoon, sorry, later this morning in our time, like all due respect to the matches that are going on now, I think the global footballing world is very, very excited and intrigued for these two matchups at 11, where England is pretty much through. England would have to lose by more than four goals to Wales to not get through. The really intriguing one is U.S. and Iran at 11 a.m., which is going to be played at the exact same time Mm -hmm. as England and Wales. Now, the England-Wales result will impact U.S. and Iran, but for both teams, the outcome is for them is really simple. Iran only needs a draw to get through. Draw, and they're in. That's it. The U.S. needs the win. So it makes for a very compelling chess match because Iran could play really defensively and absorb, 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 and try and play for the draw. The U.S., it's almost such a more clear outlook is that they have to get forward and they have to score a goal at some point in this match. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be probably a much more aggressive match than the last time we saw the Americans out, which, of course, was that very dour nil-nil draw against the 
English in which neither team really ever felt like they were going to score. Yeah, I know Pulisic hit the crossbar and there was a couple half chances, but it was a very, very muted affair. Is Iran definitely through if they draw? Doesn't it depend on something that happens in England and Wales? Sorry, if Wales beats if Wales beats England today, that throws a lot of All bets are off. All bets are off. But yeah. I am going on the pretext or pretense mm-hmm. that England will either draw, like they'll do the thing that they did against the U.S. where they'll just nullify the game, or they'll beat Wales. So I yeah. should put that caveat out there. Yeah, Iran can get by on a draw should Wales fail to beat yeah. England. So it's it's not really worth going all over all, all the potential scenarios. But no. it is cool now that we're going to start seeing some matchups. England, for example, um, if they don't win the group, they could end up in a matchup with the Dutch. Which would be really interesting. If not, then it's going to be uh, Ecuador or or Senegal. Didn't they play Ecuador in 2010? I think they beat them along the way. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't whatever. It doesn't really matter. But um, for me, your point about the wind kind of being out of the sails of the tournament is appropriate. Because even though you and I normally go into these World Cups or Euros or whatever the tournaments with excitement about England. Yep. Well, there's two factors. First of all, our focus was on Canada in this one. And second of all, I'm not really feeling England's chances to win this thing. No. Um, It will be interesting to see if I can rekindle that excitement. It almost reminds me of, uh, this always happens to me in March Madness, when my bracket is busted. Yeah. And then I'm like, yeah, I'm out. (laughs) I don't really care now. Yeah, I I feel that for sure, right? I mean, I had a, a very, very vested interest in how Canada would fare at this World Cup. And that's been taken away. But I do kind of realize, and I, I, I actually forced myself to look at this and say, you know what? If Canada hadn't been in this World Cup, I still would have been glued to it because yeah. there's so many intriguing storylines and it's a Winter World Cup and the backdrop of Qatar, it's all so very intriguing. And now you kind of have to reestablish those roots, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at this and I'm saying, could this tournament really stack up? Because to be honest, the tournament thus far has been a mixed bag. There's been some really intriguing moments, um, and we've kind of moved off the early narratives, which were all about the host and all about the environment, and they've really gotten into the football now, and the football's been up and down, to put it mildly. I think U.S. and Iran is going to be fascinating today. Yeah, and this is really, if you look at the history of the tournaments that captured the imagination, they're always about... Um, not necessarily the upsets, but who gets out of the groups. Mm-hmm. Like the, the the Saudi Arabia Argentina upset was terrific, but at the end of the day, it might not derail Argentina and it might not propel the Saudis. Right? Like it might have just been one of those those moments on one of those days. Yeah, we'll but, see though. But it ultimately doesn't alter the course of the tournament. Uh, I I don't remember a tournament in recent memory and apologize if there was one that's reasonably close where after all of the first two group stage matches were done we had this few teams locked in like there's a lot to play for Mm -hmm. in a lot of these groups for all these teams where in a lot of them all four teams are still alive remember the only two teams that have been eliminated thus far are the hosts Qatar and Canada and you know we got a text in here unsigned text so I assume it's from Gary and he said why did you give yourself such high hopes for Canada I mean wow you just set yourself up for heartbreak, and now you're heartbroken. Um, the one thing, and I was trying to, I was trying to crystallize this and get it exactly how I wanted it to sound yesterday when I was talking about the mixed bag of emotions, was something you talked about prior to the tournament. Would your expectations change 
based on the game to game. So two things on that. One, we had always said from the onset, our goals, objectives that we wanted to see from Canada for the tournament were obviously one, score the goal. But two, and I think this was fundamentally important to the whole thing, make sure that the last match against Morocco meant something. Yeah. Make sure that you're playing for something through all your group stage matches, even if it was the slimmest, slimmest of hopes. But wasn't it always more unlikely than not that they wouldn't get a result against Belgium and Croatia, that they would lose both those games but as the, they have done? But see, that was the that was the sort of flawed logic, was that they had to look at those first two matches as you have to get something from one of them. Yeah, but I, I'm saying, wasn't that always the most likely result? That what has happened, they've lost both, both, both those games, they haven't gotten anything from those games. Wasn't that always the most likely result? Yes, from a probability standpoint. Yeah. But if our objective was to make the game against Morocco count, they had to get something from one of those two matches. Mm-hmm. You couldn't go into Morocco with no points because you'd be dead. And I now look... Yeah, but we're talking about expectations here being raised. Right, for so... me, For me, I'll speak for myself. Yeah. For me... And I think this was flawed. Uh, when they dominated Belgium, I thought that a result against Croatia was was possible. Now, I probably underestimated Croatia and I probably overestimated Belgium. But the way that Canada played in that Belgium match, you had the Mexican coach saying, I think Canada has had the best performance so far at the World Cup. Yep. So- right? It was kind of like, listen... And if you're a soccer expert and you're like, then you didn't appreciate Modric and you didn't appreciate all that. I was like, I appreciated Croatia. Croatia beat England. I know what they can do. But I had that hope of, well, wait a minute. They just played an unbelievable game against, according to FIFA, the second best team in the world. Now, I think in hindsight, we've realized that there's something off about Belgium. Mm -hmm. But we didn't know that. But After a, the yeah. first game, we didn't know that. So when I woke up on the day of the Canada-Croatia game and I saw that Morocco had beaten Belgium, I definitely had an uh-oh moment. Maybe Canada's performance against Belgium in hindsight wasn't so impressive. See, so that's interesting because my response after Belgium, I remember I, I was the table that we had at the Hollywood Theater, I remember talking to everyone there and I said, that's the blown opportunity right there. That everyone had, and it was a very, very unfortunate narrative that took off after this. And, and, it, and this is why Herdman's remarks got so much scrutiny. Is because the Belgian performance was never going to be a springboard to beating Croatia. The Belgian performance was their opportunity to get something from these two matches where they weren't supposed to get anything. Oh yeah, and, yeah, absolutely. And I that's mean, looking killer. back in hindsight, but because there's no reason right now but, with the way that they played that they should have a, a mean nothing game against Morocco right now. But all I'm saying is like, I, it wasn't that I wasn't bemoaning the lack of getting a point or even scoring a goal against Belgium. I was, I was stewing on that afterwards, but I was saying. I was more optimistic about their chances to get a result against Croatia after I watched that game. No, that's that's fair. There's nothing wrong yeah. with that. But my like my first thought wasn't necessarily we can really use this performance to move forward against Croatia. It was holy crap. Because here's the thing. It wasn't just the penalty. Mm-hmm. 
it was very obvious that Canada was better than Belgium and significantly better. Yeah. Like the, the statistics, there's something off like, against Belgium, off about Belgium. I I don't know if there are, I don't know if they just got too old, if they 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 missed out on the golden generation, and so be it. They're gonna have to find another one, or there's something going on. See, this drives with me, that this, group. This drives, I don't know. This drives me nuts. Uh oh! Don't this don't text that came in. This drives me nuts. Too many what ifs. Canada wasn't good enough. They got outclassed by more experienced teams. Did they get outclassed by Belgium? Point to me. One instance, other than the goal, where they got outclassed yeah. by Belgium. Yeah, please. they weren't outclassed by Belgium. They completely outplayed them. The expected goals, the shots on net, and a missed penalty. No team has put forth that kind of performance and failed to find the back of the net since the 1978 World Cup. Yeah. It was a historic and this Canadian, inability to score. This Canadian team doesn't, quote-unquote, lack finish. They scored a ton of goals. Mm-hmm. They scored against the U.S., they scored against Mexico. They've scored against quality side. They don't lack finish. Yes. This is also a World Cup in which we saw in the group stage, Saudi Arabia beating Argentina, Japan beating Germany. Things happen at a World Cup where you, you, ha- you and this is the thing, you graced and given a moment and you got to capitalize on it. So when the Saudis beat Argentina, they were aided by the fact that, you know, there were three goals disallowed yeah. on offside on VAR. And that's an opportunity that presented itself to them, and they took advantage of it. You could make the exact same argument for Canada against Belgium. They were given golden, golden opportunity in the first 10 minutes, right? Yeah. It wasn't that intentional a handball, but they, everything broke their way, and they couldn't find the back of that. So for me, that's where the disappointment lies. Okay, I don't want anyone to get it twisted that it was about the Cro- the Croatia match was disappointing for an entirely different mm-hmm. series of reasons, but I just felt like it 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 feels like patently unfair that of all these teams that are still alive in the final group stage game, yeah, Canada's not, and Canada in that opener against Belgium had one of the best performances. In the opening round. But they had a dreadful performance against Croatia. Right. But there's been other countries that are in it right now, and they've done significantly less. That's all I'm saying. And I think some people are still going to go de facto to, well, we should just be happy to be here. And I'm like, that's fine if you want to think that. Mm -hmm. But it's not the reality. Canada has put the one match against Belgium. They put forth a better performance than a lot of countries right now. Yeah. A lot that are in this tournament, to be honest. And And if they've gotten a simple draw. If they got in a simple draw there, that this this match against Morocco would mean something. And that's the frustrating part. Yeah. Right? I wanted this match to mean something. You know, it's crazy. All these guys that are there talking about the experience. You can only learn when you're going up. Like, for example, you learned a lot going up against a pissed-off Croatian team. One of them was don't piss off Croatia. Another one was that <laughs> you've got a midfield that is dominant. That's what it's going to look like. I would love it if they got thrown into the cauldron again and we played – in a must-have match where it was uh, our lives were on the line and the Moroccan team's lives were on the line. Like you, that would be a learning experience. Right now, for Canada, yeah, they're going to be motivated to get a result, but it, their tournament's over. It doesn't matter. Uh, we got a text in here to the Dunbar Lumber text line. They did lack finish, though, against Belgium, and that happens game to game sometimes. With more quality and experience, it happens less. Yeah, fair enough. But I just wouldn't... <laughs> I just wouldn't look at this Canadian side and go, well, their problem is they lack goal scoring ability, right? Yeah. That's 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 not their issue, right? And no. I mean, look at that goal that Davies scored against Croatia. That was one of the nicest goals of the tournament. 
They piled up goals in qualifying. Mm-hmm. And yes, it was against lesser nations, right? For sure. But, you know, England does it to San Marino. And, routinely right and and that that's what the, that's what the good teams do mm-hmm. they score goals against the lesser nation i don't think canada's problem is a finishing problem it's an offensive problem what i actually was what i wanted to ask you and, yep. and and peter uh about this team when we've when we've been speaking to peter is like how does it how does it look for 2026 because we all know that Davies and Jonathan David and there's a couple other guys that are still very young that are obviously still going to be in their prime and might even be better mm-hmm. in 2026. But how do you go about replacing uh, Atiba Hutchison, uh, Vittoria, like all, all those guys that are definitely not going to be part of that 2026 group that were starting games for Canada and maybe addressing the weaknesses of this group, which is probably at the back line, or yeah, it's, it'll be at the back and it'll be in the center of the park. Do you think Herdman will still be there? Well, yes. hold on, Andy. Yes. Let me let me get let, 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 let's okay. talk let's talk about um, like the the roster first, yeah. and then we so talk about the, the answer. The answer is pretty straightforward: is you need to land more of these players playing these positions at better clubs. So, Alistair Johnson, for example, I would venture to say that in four years' time. He's going to be a much better defender than he is right now because he's going to be playing in Scotland for Celtic, and it's just going to be more reps against better opposition. Remember, like Celtic for, they don't com- they compete on the Champions League level, but it's because they get there. They, yeah. When they get there, they don't do very well because it's such a it's such a tough league with regards to the quality elsewhere. But that's going to be a huge thing for him. Guys are going to emerge, and I think what we saw, you know. Ismail Kone really kind of crystallized it. He went from being at the beginning of the, his ascension was wild. Like at the beginning of the year, they weren't sure that he was going to be even like a starting eleven guy for the Montreal, uh, the foot club to foot Montreal. Yeah. Then he was. Then he became one of their better players. Then he became one of their best players. Then he got called to the Canadian team. Then he was on the Canadian roster. Then they were like, "Oh, we should play him." <laughs> and then he played. And then they were like, "Oh, he's really good." Yeah. And then in a match against Croatia, he's being subbed on at half to try and go forward in a game that they, they need to win. So that rapid ascension, you're going to see that from other guys because it's just this wealth of talent now coming out of especially Quebec and Ontario. Mm-hmm. The question is... Is it at the right positions, though? Oh, it'll, it will be eventually. Yeah. There'll always be candidates coming forward. Mm-hmm. The question is, how quickly can you fast-track these guys from... NCAA to MLS to you need these guys playing in Europe. If the one, if the match against uh, Croatia showed anything, it's that what are you going to do when you go up against a midfield with the talent and experience and match awareness of Modric, Brozovic, and Kovacic? And two, I mean, that's Chelsea, Real, like quality clubs yeah. where that stage, and Alistair Johnson talked about it yesterday in his Avini availability, he's like, it never seemed like we could get close to them. Mm-hmm. And then when we scored, they seemed completely unfazed at the fact that they had conceded a goal. And that's just guys that have seen pretty much everything they need to see. I mean, is it, is it not possible that Canada just won't reach those heights? So it's interesting. I had this conversation. Right, they, they, like we, we've, gone, we've gone so far in such a short time 
the the expectation now seems for 2026. Oh well, it'll be different. That it's like it, it may not be. So in 1990, the 1990 World Cup in Italy, that was when the U.S. first qualified proper. Yeah, they made it through and they got in right, and then they hosted in '94, so they were mm-hmm. an automatic entry. So that seems similar. Well, yeah, it is. It's yeah. very similar, actually. Same region and same everything. And if you look at the games. They came in and they kind of did the North American thing. They played really hard and they, they put up a good fight, but I think they lost 1-0 and 5-1, if I'm not mistaken. So okay. the parallels become even more. Everyone said this is the sleeping giant of international football because of the size of the country and the money that they had available. Mm-hmm. And then what happened? The league, they, they hosted the World Cup in 94. The league got created, MLS. Yep. And now the U.S. is sort of a perennial World Cup qualifier. But they've never but gotten they've over never, the hump. But they've never gotten over the hump. Yeah. But you feel like it's kind of close because they have so many players playing mm-hmm. in um, the Premier League and Serie A and La Liga. And it's like, you know, big guys playing... Big clubs, Chelsea, Juve, Barca, AC Milan, they've got guys playing on all these teams. I just hope that this group of players right now is in a flash in the pan. That's a concern for sure. That is a concern mm-hmm. because they, golden because, generations come and go. Mm-hmm. And do we have 100% trust in the powers that be running Canadian soccer? No, and this is very much feels like a Herdman group. And, you know, I don't know where it goes in four years' time. Yeah. Right? But, I mean, it's it's very much something that he he captured the moment, he captured the spirit, and he got them through a qualification stage. And, again, I don't want to be negative, but there is the possibility that this group hit CONCACAF at the right time. Mm-hmm. Because For sure. Mexico is in a downswing. Uh, the U.S. kind of is what the U.S. is, a team that's going to qualify but isn't going to make that much noise. And then you look at the rest of the region and – like, it's a Costa Rican program that got there, but, I mean, yes, they won a game. Um, Panama, Trinidad, Jamaica, El Salvador, all of them weren't tremendous in qualifying. This soccer report was brought to you by CertainTeed, the pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. CertainTeed, pro all the way. Tariq El-Bashir will join us next to talk about the Washington Capitals, Ovechkin's chase to become the all-time Goals leader in the NHL, and just where are the Washington Capitals headed? Do they keep trying to win, or does this team need a rebuild? You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.